The Kingdom Roots podcast is brought to you today by the inaugural Theology and Mission Lectureship held on Friday, June 17th at Northern Seminary. Our cultural landscape has gone through a drastic change, and any time the landscape is new, leadership is even more necessary. Join us with guest lecturer Michael Frost as he will be casting a vision for the church and its leaders as an exiled people practicing incarnation. You can learn more about the event or sign up to be there at Northern Seminary on June 17th for this incredible gathering at seminary.edu slash onmission16. Again, that's seminary.edu slash onmission16. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for our episode, we have the first part in a two-part series where we're looking at the quest for the historical Jesus. Well, Scott, you know, a couple weeks ago, we did an episode on uh, the new perspective, and we said everything you need to know in the new perspective in in 30 minutes. And, you know, I think we did a pretty good job covering everything for the most part. But uh, for this, you know, the the quest for the historical Jesus, we thought maybe it would be good to spend a little bit more time doing a two-part series here with that. So you ready to share with our listeners what they need to know about the quest for the historical Jesus? Uh, I would agree with you that the historical Jesus discussion requires more than 30 minutes and uh, probably more than one hour and probably more than 40 hours, but we'll we'll do our best. Yeah, we will do our best. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've come across in looking at the historical Jesus, and you wrote uh, an article for Christianity Today back in 2010 uh, about the quest, and uh, in that you open up with a psychological test that you did for your students, for your classes studying Jesus. And I would just be curious if you could begin by unpacking that a little bit more. Where did that come from? What was that quiz about? And what does it tell us, I guess, about the quest for the historical Jesus? Uh, Teaching Jesus in colleges uh, only uh, brought to the surface in, uh, let's say, a glaring clarity uh, or uh, blinding clarity Uh, to use some kind of words that don't mix together well, the reality that my students and people that I talk to in churches all think they know who Jesus is. But if you listen to very many people, you realize there are a whole lot of Jesuses out there that everybody thinks they know very carefully or very accurately. So I came across this test one time. Uh, It was a test designed in uh, Wales uh, for public schools, and it was was very interesting, and it got my attention because my wife's a psychologist, and I've taken a lot of of psychological exams for her behalf as she was training and learning how to use these exams. So there was this little exam that asked a series of questions to a human being, a person, a student— about themselves. I mean, it was, they were simple questions like, uh, 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 does your mood go uh, up and down often? Um, do, uh, are you a talkative person? Are you rather lively? That's a very English question. Are you a worrier? All right, so it asks those kinds of questions. Well, then uh, it, uh, it, answer, it, it gets people to answer 
the same questions, only reframed slightly differently so that they're questions about Jesus. So do you think Jesus was a worrier? Do you think Jesus was talkative? Do you think Jesus was rather lively? And actually how this test works is it asks questions about Jesus first, and then it distracts the students with a series of questions about their personal life uh, long enough for them to perhaps forget what they said about Jesus. And then it turns those same questions back toward the person. And hmm. this is the alarming result. Yeah, I'm curious about what did you find as you asked I mean, those it's, questions? It's not so much test. me. It's the, it's the, uh, the scholars uh, okay. who designed the test in Wales. They came to the conclusion that uh, there are a variety of personality types and every personality types Every personality type thinks Jesus is like them. Mm -hmm. So that um, uh, an extroverted, a person who sc scores high on the extroversion scale thinks Jesus was extroverted, while a person who scores high on an introversion scale thinks Jesus was an introvert. So this test, uh, I decided to start giving to my college students when I was teaching at North Park University. And I looked at the results, but I gave them their quiz, their test back. I, mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole lot I could do with it yeah. um, because I didn't know who it was. But it was alarming of the correlation between answers about Jesus and answers about themselves. And I, I simply came to the conclusion that everybody thinks Jesus was like himself. My students think Jesus was like them. And then I did something uh, that I thought would be very clever for the purposes of education, Jazz. I gave the test at the beginning of the term before we had studied Jesus, and then I gave the same test to the same students at the end of the course on Jesus after 15 weeks of studying the Gospels, and the conclusions were negligibly different, which wow. is to say uh, we didn't make much progress yeah. in pro prying Jesus away from our own self-perceptions. Now, this is, this is uh, in a sense, alarming, and at the same time, it is uh, to our advantage. And that is, this test was given to students in public schools in the United Kingdom. Uh, many of those students, probably most of those students, were not Christians. But all students wanted Jesus to be like them which tells us in our world today that people like Jesus. And that's why my friend Dan Kimball, who wrote a book, They Like Jesus But Not the Church, mm -hmm. has something really in his, in his side. People today are not anywhere near as turned off to Jesus as they are turned off to the church or they are turned off to Christians. This is to our advantage to preach Jesus more. So that was, uh, that was a little uh, entrance uh, it's a portal into studying about Jesus uh, with a little bit of a warning. And that warning is uh, we all come with prejudices. And when we're done, we leave with pretty much the same prejudices. But over time, we can sort of wedge Jesus a little bit away from our prejudices and we can become a little bit more accurate 
in our understanding of Jesus. Wow. Well, that seems like it's a really uh, important foundation and observation to have in knowing our own presupposition, as you said, as we come to studying Jesus. So maybe we can move now into just a little bit more background and foundation about what is the the quest or about the multiple quests that there have been to um, pursue and discover and understand better the historical Jesus. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just first uh, define a little bit about what we mean when we talk about the historical Jesus. And then I think we have to examine uh, the way people have talked about uh, the history of Jesus studies. And that is they talk about the old quest, then they talk about the, the new quest, and then they talk about the third quest. So l- let's start with what we mean by historical Jesus. And this is a very important uh, philosophical, maybe nuanced understanding of the language we're using. When many people say historical Jesus, they, they, they think you're talking about, or when they hear the word histor- expression historical Jesus, they think you're talking about Jesus as he really was in the first century as a Galilean Jew. So um, they're not really. Uh, thinking uh, the way historical Jesus scholars have been thinking about Jesus. So historical Jesus scholars, when they use the word historical Jesus, they mean first that this is the Jesus as he really was over against what Christians have said about Jesus. That is to say, they are against the Jesus of the canon. They are against the Jesus of the creed which teaches that Jesus was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. They say that's not the historical Jesus. That's what Christians in their faith and in their creeds affirm about Jesus. Then they would say that the historical Jesus is also uh, a Jesus over against the fuller understanding of Jesus in the canon, that is, in the first four Gospels of the New Testament, which are Christian presentations of Jesus, so that the historical Jesus now suddenly becomes a Jesus back there, let's say, in Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea, who is not the same figure that Christians have been taught to believe in by their creeds, that that Christians have been taught to believe in by their gospels, but someone who is less and sometimes far less than what they've believed in. So when people talk about the historical Jesus, they are talking about a movement of scholars that began in the 18th century largely and has been moving forward for a long time, uh, 250 years or so. And and the, the big point is that we have to get back to how Jesus really was uh, versus what Christians believe about him. Now, let me make yeah. one. Yeah, let me make one point of clarification. Okay. When 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 you and I pick up the Gospels and we read about the sermon, we read the Sermon on the Mount, or we read about miracles, and then we investigate on the basis of the Gospels a theme. Let's say what righteousness meant in the Jewish world or what miracles meant in the Jewish world, and then we bring that background in order to explain what is said in the Gospels, we are doing canonical gospel study. We are studying Jesus according to the Gospels, but giving him some historical clothing. 
That's different than the historical Jesus, mm-hmm. which is saying that the, the, the Jesus that Christians believe in uh, is, a, is a developed understanding of what Jesus was actually like. And it is not uncommon for historical Jesus scholars to say, if Christians today met the real Jesus of the first century, they would be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. So I want to make this as a very important point. Historical Jesus studies are the attempt to get behind the creeds, behind the Gospels, back to who Jesus really was, and he was not like the Gospels completely, and certainly not like the creeds. Well, you know, my question would be now for for us and for this podcast, what we're trying to do, understanding, you know, how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now, the importance for the church. So, you know, as we hear about this movement of scholarship that you've laid out about starting in the 1800s and understanding Jesus um, before the Gospels and before the creeds, why is it important for us as a church to, you know, A, be knowledgeable about what this course of study has been as as well as, um, you know, why do we need to be involved in the conversation, or or do we? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, this is a good question, because we can right now just put on the table that the gospel's Jesus and the creedal Jesus is the church's Jesus. Mm-hmm. The question we really deserve, we, we really need to ask is, um, does the church believe in the historical Jesus or does the church believe in the church's Jesus? Mm -hmm. And let's just say, well, let's look again. Well, then what happens if we discover that Jesus didn't do miracles because miracles aren't possible, that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead because people aren't raised from the dead? Then do we have the church's Jesus Or do we have a reconstructed Jesus on the basis of scholars and historians? And then we have to ask the question, are we going to change our understanding of Jesus every time a new historian comes along? All right, now, we just got through uh, Holy Week and Easter season Mm -hmm. when it seems like almost every year uh, CNN or some, (laughs) you know, something on TV, National Geographic, or Uh or bookstores and advertisements from media Mm -hmm. uh, bombard us with the idea that uh, this is what Jesus was really like. Every one of these attempts are attempts to say that the church basically got it wrong, or the church has been telling you things wrong, and there's a conspiracy theory at work, and so they're going to correct everybody and tell you what Jesus was really like. Here's what I believe. I don't believe the church needs the historical Jesus. I believe the church needs Jesus as he was in reality, Mm -hmm. but that Jesus as he was in reality has to be interpreted for him to be uh, the Jesus that the church believes in. You, You don't, there is no, there is no just Jesus out there. Every Every presentation of Jesus, every depiction of Jesus, every record of the words of Jesus are selections and interpretations. I don't believe that the church needs the historical Jesus movement in order to know what it believes about Jesus. Mm -hmm. What the church needs is faithfulness to the apostolic interpretation of who Jesus was because they were there. Now, I want to I deepen that. Apostles like Peter, uh, 
the gospel writers like Luke and Matthew and John, and and I think that they have connections to the apostles if they weren't apostles themselves. Mm-hmm. There's debates about this sort of thing. All right, uh, they they interpreted Jesus. Matthew records the teachings of Jesus in blocks. Uh, he records other things in sections. Mark scatters things around. Luke tells the story in a different way. John talks about the signs and the and the uh, I am saying. So he he breaks up his gospel in a different way. These are interpretations. But where did they get their interpretations? Long ago, a great English scholar by the name of C. H. Dodd asked that question, and he said, "We have basically we have every reason to believe." that the apostolic interpretation of Jesus that saw Jesus in terms of Israel's story and the scriptures of Israel goes back to the person who got the process going, namely the original interpretation of Jesus was by Jesus himself. Mm. And that the apostles carried on that interpretation of Jesus when they wrote their gospels. I believe that, and that is the church's Jesus and I want to be faithful to that understanding of Jesus. So um, why don't we get into some of the major players that have uh, contributed you know, their work and their, their insight and their study to um, these different these three quests that you've kind of laid out in the old quest, the new quest, and the third quest, and um, you know, why they did what they did, um, what contribution they did, yeah. and how did they impact the, the conversation and direction of the discipline? You know, historians sometimes get really nervous about dividing things into periods, <laughs> yeah. into, into groups. So uh-huh. there's a little bit. Let, let's just say this, that, the, that at the turn of the 20th century, a brilliant German scholar by the name of Albert Schweitzer wrote a famous book that was translated into English and entitled The Quest for the Historical Jesus, in which he sought to sabotage and to eliminate uh, what is sometimes called the old quest, and that wa- he he saw in the presentations of Jesus in the let's say the 19th century, and that uh, that he saw there Protestant German liberalism imposing its views on Jesus, so that what you got was a German Jesus who looked very much like Protestant Lutheran liberal. German theologians. And then a famous scholar named George Terrell said that when historical Jesus scholars look down the well into the history about Jesus, they discover their own reflections. Mm -hmm. And that's what Schweitzer tried to do. Mm -hmm. Schweitzer created uh, an impression of Jesus at the end of his book, rooted in another scholar by the name of Johannes Weiss, and even deeper in a a scholar named Herman Samuel Rymaris, in which he argued that Jesus was driven by eschatology, that he believed the end of the world was imminent. And so he had he created what is called the apocalyptic Jesus, that this Jesus thought that he had sent out the 12 to preach the gospel to the cities of Israel, and they would, before they even had time to get back, and report to him about all their good deeds, the Son of Man would come. And Schweitzer said Jesus was deeply mistaken about time, that the wheel of history rolled on and it crushed him, and therefore the 
image of Jesus in Protestant liberalism of a nice cultural understanding of Jesus is mistaken, and that what we have to have is a more radical understanding of Jesus as an eschatological prophet to Israel. He was the prophetic, apocalyptic, eschatological Jesus who unfortunately was mistaken, but he he shows us, he paints the way for us to be heroic in our attempt to bring in the conditions of God in this world. And that sort of ended the old quest. Mm -hmm. And that hung on for quite a while into Rudolf Bultmann uh, in the first half of the 20th century. And then one of Rudolf Bultmann's students um, by the name of Ernst Kesemann said, um, you know, uh, Bultmann said, we can't really get back to the historical Jesus and it doesn't really matter. Uh, so what we have to do is have a new quest for Jesus based upon some criteria. And the criteria they use were historical methods mm -hmm. to see if they could find out what Jesus was really like. Mm -hmm. And for about uh, 30 or 40 years, that new quest that originated in Germany uh, was very influential in America and in the and, and a little bit less so in the United States in uh, the United Kingdom, and it was an attempt to use precise methods to figure out what Jesus was really like, and to sort of pry him away from the Jewish world and the Greek world, and to find him and, and they tended to find him in their own image as well, and so they found him as a sort of a German Lutheran philosophical theological existentialist type. Yeah. So there seems to be a theme here of, of coming back to that realization of really kind of what we started the episode here today in seeing Jesus as we we see ourselves or kind of we wanted to see the historical Jesus. Well, this is so true because, you know, Tom Wright comes along and he 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 dubs the next movement, the third quest. Mm hmm. And uh, at, at times, Tom has shown and demonstrated, and other people have, have done the same thing, that a guy like John Dominic Crossan gets Jesus almost wearing a tweed coat, sounding like an American university professor mm -hmm. with an Irish accent. Mm -hmm. and, and Marcus Borg, uh, who was also very influential uh, in the Third Quest type people, they too found Jesus this way. But what happened with the third quest is there was a subtle shift away from Jesus over against his culture, that is his Jewish culture, to a Jesus who is fully Jewish. And I was at an academic session one day when when Dom Crossan, John Dominic Crossan, said, you know, uh, we're in a contest right now as to who can make Jesus the most Jewish. And that really is the emphasis of the third quest, mm -hmm. is less of distinguishing Jesus from Judaism, less countering Judaism with Jesus, mm -hmm. and more and more seeing Jesus as a part of the Jewish world, speaking a Jewish message to Jewish people. And that's where we find ourselves with most Jew uh, studies of Jesus today. There's an increasing, even among evangelical Christians, who don't even know what the historical Jesus quest really is. Mm -hmm. They love <laughs> yeah, they love to hear about the Jewishness of Jesus. Mm. This is largely the result of the third quest, which in, in many ways uh, got its impetus from the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and to see what they were saying, along with the republication and dissemination of the Jewish Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha by James Charlesworth. Those people made available 
sources that we now use and exploit in order to understand Jesus in his Jewish context. And so there's less debate today about what's authentic in the Gospels and far more of an attempt to explain Jesus thoroughly and radically and consistently and even overwhelmingly in his Jewish context, so much so that many people would say Jesus was a Jewish prophet. Mm-hmm. And and that right there is where we have come in the historical Jesus studies to see Jesus in his Jewish world. And I think that many scholars today are quite happy with that. There's still some who want to hang on and try to prove that some things are not authentic mm-hmm. and reconstruct Jesus on the basis of which sayings and which deeds they think actually were done by Jesus, eliminate the sayings and deeds that they think Jesus didn't do, and then reconstruct what Jesus was like. That's sort of the second quest. Mm-hmm. And the third quest says, well, okay, but let's let's move more in a positive direction, and let's ask what this saying of Jesus would have meant in the Jewish world mm-hmm. and interpret Jesus in that kind of Jewish context. So do you think as we, we've kind of laid out, you know, these different iterations and uh, how the course of studying Jesus historically has gone, do you see in the future uh, a need for another shift to take place? Or do you think we're kind of at a place where um, we'll, we'll continue on and deepening and, and furthering and examining um, the Jewishness uh, of Jesus as we look at him as a historical figure? What do you think the future looks like for the discipline? Um, yeah, the future, if I knew that, I would be right there writing about those topics right now, because then I could be in advance of the whole discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell the story this way. Uh, when I came of age as a, uh, a professor, or when I first got my job, finished my doctorate, uh, the the ruling debates were, were generated by E.P. Sanders' And everybody was concerned with Paul in his Jewish world because of the discovery of Jewish sources and what is now called the new perspective. So, so when I, you know, people weren't doing Jesus studies that much. And then, then there arose over a period of, let's just say a decade, um, a dissatisfaction with just studying Paul and a, a turn to Jesus and by the mid 80s uh, late 80s early mid 90s there was there was an explosion of studies about Jesus and much less interest in Paul so every session at SBL that was big was all about Jesus and i remember being at an academic session where tom wright marcus borg paula fredrickson and John Dominic Crossan were on the platform, and there were over a thousand scholars in the room listening to them talk about Jesus. Mm. Ten years later, I was the chair of a session on the historical Jesus at SBL, and there were 35 people in our room. Mm. They had all left the house, and they moved uh, to other disciplines, and they were starting to move back to Paul. So, uh, And you cannot really, so the point would be this, is that academic scholarship shifts in decades and double decades. So every 10 or 20 years, maybe even a generation, 
uh, it shifts from being really important to not so important. And then another group of scholars or maybe the next generation discovers we've got to go back to those old topics with new methods and new sources and reinvestigate maybe what Jesus was about. So I would say right now, Jesus studies are really on a decline. There's mm-hmm. just not that much interest. Uh, there's not a there's not a lot of creativity in Jesus studies right now. I don't know where the next create moment of creativity will come uh, in studies about Jesus, but I suspect uh, that the the political the the interest in politics, gender identity, et cetera, mm-hmm. will generate a lot uh, some some interesting questions about Jesus and the Gospels, and uh, and they already are in some ways, mm-hmm. but uh, I I cannot predict where the next big move will come in Jesus studies. I just know that uh, that it's sort of moved to Paul right now, and mm-hmm. and New Testament scholarship right now doesn't have any hugely central debate where we're probably waiting for the next great creative scholar to come along with some really fresh idea and then generate a whole lot of interest and discussion about it. Yeah, maybe one of you listeners is that great, insightful <laughs> scholar. That would be would be cool to see. Um, well, you, you know, curious just um, in how we've talked about the historical Jesus and those scholars attempting to get behind the the creedal Jesus and the the behind the Gospels of Jesus. Is there that same type of um, thought? Obviously, the person, the historical person of Paul, is a little different. But is there that same type of of, um, I guess, question or approach to studying, Paul? Well, uh, in 1977, when E.P. Sanders published Paul and the Palestinian Palestinian Judaism, there was just an explosion of interest in Paul and what his theology looked like once we broke down what is often now called the old perspective and began to think about Paul in fresh categories. that happened with Paul, and it and it it existed for 10, 15 years, uh, and then Jesus kind of took over the scene for uh, academic scholars, and I think Paul has come back into his own. There's less interest in Jesus, uh, but right now there's not anything really. Uh, well, you could say the apocalyptic Paul that is generated by J. Louis Martin, Beverly Gaventa. Um, uh, Martin DeBoer and uh, and the really fresh and big study by Douglas Campbell has sort of recaptured Paul for the major conversation. It's not as big as it was in the days of E.P. Sanders, and it's not as big as as it was in the days of the fresh uh, rediscovery of Jesus in that historical Jesus movement. But it's it's big, and people are questioning the old perspective, questioning the new perspective. And a guy like John Barkley is trying to combine them, mm. uh, take the best of all, and and bring fresh insights. Uh, so I I would say that there's a, a shift right now. It's not a big jump, mm-hmm. but it's a shift toward Paul and his theology and its Jewish world. Yeah. And I, I just you know want to clarify and um, hope none of our, our listeners are confused. You know, when we talk about um, this interest in Paul over Jesus, it's not that, you know, 
I, I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but that, you know, we care much more about Paul than we do about Jesus, because as, you know, as Christians and as the church, certainly even the study of Paul is centered on understanding our faith. That is, is, is based on the foundation of Jesus and his message. And that comes through Paul and his explanations to his communities and stuff. So I just, I don't know. I, I feel like that might be a helpful, um, yeah, well, to, to keep in mind, I mean, wouldn't you say? Or, or, yeah, well, here's the thing. There, there's a lot of people today that I've encountered who uh, 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 who would say that Paul is nowhere near as important as Jesus. And so Daniel Kirk, who formerly was a professor at Fuller, no longer now, but Daniel Kirk uh, had the clever title of a book, Jesus Have I Loved, But Paul, with a question mark. So um, there are many people today, uh, and I think this is a this is a serious mistake. But many people today uh, pose Jesus against Paul, and if it's not in Jesus, they're not interested, and if it's only in Paul, they don't think it's important. So uh, this is a mistake at a couple levels. Number one is that the uh, that Jesus uh, appointed these apostles. And so these apostles are actual witnesses and apostles sent by Jesus. We can't reject the apostle uh, and not reject Jesus. Jesus said this, those who receive you, those I'm sending, receive me. And those who reject you, reject me. So I think we have to listen very carefully to the apostles. And on top of this, you know, in, in the history of the church, and especially for us who are Protestants, is scripture is our norming norm. And so when we when we pose Jesus against Paul, we are finding we are creating contradictions in the within the Bible itself, which we take to be the authoritative word of God. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm nervous about that. Yeah. But I we do have to distinguish Jesus from Paul. Mm-hmm. Jesus is our Messiah and our Lord. Paul is an apostle, yeah. but Paul bore witness to Jesus, as did John and did Peter. And so, therefore, we have to listen to them as telling us about Jesus. Let us not divorce the person of Jesus mm-hmm. from what is said about him, but let's not equate Scripture with Jesus himself. He is a person. Scripture is is the written record, the apostolic-inspired scriptural witness to who Jesus is. We know about Jesus through scripture, but he is other than scripture. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's a a great place to end for the first part of our series here on the quest for the historical Jesus. Uh, We've covered a lot today and going through um, some of the the foundational elements of the study itself and where it's been recently. Um, And hopefully kind of whetted your appetite for our next part where we're going to get in a little more to um, the topic and understanding why can can we and should we trust uh, the Gospels as we understand Jesus and in who he is to our faith. So thanks for joining us today on the podcast, and we look forward to being with you next week.